0: Please be aware the stories, theories, reenactments, and language in this podcast are of an adult nature and can be considered disturbing, frightening, and in some cases even offensive. Listener discretion is therefore advised. Welcome, heathens. Welcome to the world of the weird and unexplained. I am your host, Nicole Delacroix, and together we will be investigating stories about the things that go bump in the night, frighteningly imagined creatures, supernatural beings, and even some unsolved mysteries, but I promise all sorts of weirdness. So, sit back, grab your favorite drink, and prepare to be transported to today's Dark Enigma. And on today's Dark Enigma, well, we have another listener suggestion that I'd never even heard this story before, so you guys know how much I love doing research, and I get to hear a new story, so bingo! It's one of my favorites! So, with all that said, we will still be playing our drinking game, and as you know, the drinking game is only for those of us that are at home and have nowhere else to go tonight. The choice of libation, as always, my darlings, is yours, so choose your poison accordingly. All right, now for the game part. How about every time I say UFO, that's going to be a single shot. And every time I say island, that'll be a double shot. I know I missed the whole aliens. It's always aliens. You know, that's my, that's my favorite tag. It's always aliens. All right. Anyways, now that the business end is out of the way, we can jump headfirst into today's dark enigma. So, don your best tinfoil hat, and well, whatever else you do to hide your evil thoughts from the aliens, and let's dive into today's offering of Tales of UFOs and the Men in Black, and the story of the Maury Island Incident. Dum, dum, dum! You know, I have to input my drama in there. Gotta have it. All right. On June 21st, 1947, an intriguing incident unfolded over the picturesque landscape of Maury Island, nestled within the scenic Puget Sound region. This event, now known as the Maury Island UFO sighting, Captivated the attention of both locals and the wider public. It involved the sudden appearance of UFOs and a series of perplexing circumstances that continue to fascinate UFO enthusiasts and researchers alike. So, join us as we delve into the details of this enigmatic encounter, exploring the accounts, investigations, and the lasting impact of the Maury Island UFO sighting. By the way, it's going to take a really weird, strange turn at the end that I was not prepared for, and it blew my mind. So I hope you guys enjoy. All right. During the summer of 1947, a peculiar incident occurred off the coast of Maury Island in South Puget Sound. Harold Dahl, accompanied by his son Christopher, two workers and their dog, embarked on a routine boating excursion. Harold's primary activity involved collecting floating logs from the sound to sell to lumber mills. According to Dahl's account, On June 21st, at precisely 2 o'clock p.m. in the afternoon, their attention was captured by the sudden appearance of six unidentified flying objects in the sky above their boat. Astonishingly, one of these saucer-shaped crafts abruptly exploded, causing a peculiar metallic substance to rain down from the heavens. Tragically, the family dog lost its life, and Christopher suffered burns on his arm as a result of this unusual explosion. Dahl claimed that after his son was injured, his boat was damaged, the dog was killed by UFO debris, that the craft steadied itself, rose into the air, and zipped away at an impossible speed. He later noted that when he returned to Tacoma, he told his, su- his superior officer, Fred Chrisman, about the incident, which led Chrisman to investigate the sound. If Dahl, his son, and Chrisman were trying to keep the story to themselves, well, they did a piss poor job of it because they were soon the talk of Tacoma. Dahl's sighting was actually the first of many UFO incidents in 1947, a fact that lends some credence to his experience. On June 24, 1947, a private pilot named Kenneth Arnold I know that name's going to sound familiar because we've had a story about him before. Kenneth Arnold made a remarkably similar claim to Dolls. According to Pilot Arnold, he witnessed a sequence of nine shiny, unidentified flying objects soaring past Mount Rainier. He estimated their speeds to be at least 1200 miles per hour, a staggering rate, and by the way, at that time, no plane could fly that fast, I'm just saying. Given Arnold's experience as a pilot and his reputable standing as a businessman, his account swiftly gained widespread attention. It ignited a wave of speculation and discussions surrounding UFO sightings and extraterrestrial beings with concerns arising about potential risks they might pose to the United States and humanity as a whole. The public became captivated by these stories, propelling the topic of unidentified flying objects into the forefront of popular discourse but the summer of 1947 found itself under the enigmatic spell of UFOs. It was an era infused with tales of mysterious sightings in the sky, and the sheer amount of UFO accounts birthed a moniker that would stick, the Summer of the Saucers. One of the most notable incidents unfolded in, you guessed it, Roswell, New Mexico, where rumors of a secretive government cover-up swirled around a crashed flying saucer. This atmospheric saga unfolded a mere two years after the conclusion of World War II, further heightening intrigue and speculation. With Kenneth Arnold and Harold Dahl's, Dahl's separate but parallel experiences happening in such short succession, it's no surprise that their sightings went viral for the time. On July fourth, 1947, Captain E.J. Smith, his co pilot and his stewardess reported witnessing unidentified objects zooming around the Pacific Northwest. Remember, this in only a week after Arnold's sighting and just under two weeks after Dahl's sighting. Smith's sighting was pivotal as it was the first UFO officially cataloged by a professional airline pilot. This all led Smith and the ever inquisitive Kenneth Arnold into a symbiotic investigation alliance. Together they joined forces to make the trek to Maury Island in Puget Sound to learn the truth about what happened to Dahl and his sons. And enter one Ray Palmer. Yep, before we go back to Puget Sound, there's another very important part of this equation. Ray Palmer, the publisher of amazing stories. This pulp magazine featured stories of high fantasy and science fiction all wrapped up in a pseudo-factual style. Palmer was specifically focused on stories about extraterrestrials visiting Earth by way of highly advanced technology. He was fascinated with the way his readers were certain that attacks from both Russia and creatures from beyond the stars were imminent and wanted to get in on the action of a real deal UFO sighting. Palmer wanted to speak to Dahl in person, but he also wanted someone who he felt was legit to interview the man as well. He asked Kenneth Arnold to fly to Tacoma to begin an investigation. And after wiring $200, by the way, that's roughly $3,000 in today's money. Yikes, right? He wired $200 to the pilot. Things got underway, and Dahl told his story to Arnold and I quote on June 21st 1947 in the afternoon about two o'clock I was patrolling the east bay of Maury Island I as captain was steering my patrol boat close to the shore of a bay on Maury Island on board were two crewmen my 15 year old son and his dog as I looked up from the wheel on my boat, I noticed six very large donut-shaped aircraft, End quote. To Arnold, the most intriguing part of Dahl's story was the material that one of the crafts spewed from its center. And he said, and I quote, One of the objects began spewing forth what seemed like thousands of newspapers from somewhere on the inside of its center. These newspapers, which turned out to be a white type of very lightweight metal, fluttered to earth. end quote. This news excited Arnold like he was a kid in a candy store. He immediately reached out to Army Air Force Intelligence Officer, Lieutenant Frank M. Brown, who made the trip up from Hamilton Field in California with another officer, Captain William L. Davidson, like faster than anything, right? Unfortunately, the moment the men laid eyes on the material, they realized it was nothing more than run-of-the-mill aluminum. The men were so mortified for Arnold that they went back to California without filling him in on their findings, or at least that's the official story. In spite of their disappointment over the aluminum, Davidson and Brown diligently conducted interviews and gathered fragments of evidence preparing for their return flight from McCord. Tragically, in the early hours of August 1st, their journey took a devastating turn when the B-25 Mitchell aircraft they were piloting crashed just outside Kelso, Washington, as they made their way back to California. The fatal crash claimed the lives of both officers, leaving a somber cloud hanging over their mission. As subsequent events unfolded, further layers were added to the already complex narrative. Crispin and Dahl, in subsequent confessions to Air Force investigators, admitted that they had fabricated the original story. However, the legend that sprouted from their initial account persevered, persisting in the collective consciousness for decades to come. Notably, some writers, including Arnold and Palmer, who penned a book on the case, subtly hinted at a darker truth insinuating that Davidson and Brown met their untimely demise due to their alleged knowledge of undisclosed secrets. The day following the tragedy, a series of leaked telephone calls reached McCord, alleging that the ill-fated plane carried UFO-related materials and was intentionally downed to conceal this otherworldly evidence. The leaked calls triggered a storm of controversy and gave birth to claims that the government was actively engaged in concealing the truth, fueling speculations of a large scale cover up. I'm going to add my drama. Dom, dom, dom! Okay. Following the initial reports by Crispin and Dahl, the FBI assumed the task of unraveling the truth behind the claim. After a thorough investigation, the FBI ultimately determined that the sightings recounted by the two individuals were nothing more than a hoax. Their files documented Dahl's statement, where he confessed his intention to declare it a fabrication to avoid further complications. Moreover, the files shed light on Crisman and Dahl's engagement with various local newspapers and media outlets, sharing alternate versions of their story. The investigation concluded that their motive was to garner attention and publicity with aspirations of striking a lucrative deal with Fantasy Magazine based in Chicago, Illinois. I'm just going to say it. Don't ever lie to me about a freaking alien or UFO. I hate that. Anyways. As Dahl's story spread across the Pacific Northwest, he became a bit of a local celebrity. When a journalist stopped by Dahl's house, they caught Dahl and his wife arguing about the UFO and his wife allegedly told him to drop the story and tell everyone that it was a hoax. The journalist figured that the whole thing was bunk and decided not to cover the story, but regardless of what he wanted to do, the story was out. Sorry, it just happens that way. The following day, Dahl received a strange visitor in the form of a man dressed all in black. The man in black refused to say who he was, or who he worked for, but he told Dahl that they were aware of the story and that he should keep his lips zipped. And if Dahl decided to talk, the man in black said, there would be consequences. Don't you love it when they just say consequences and they don't say what those damn consequences are? Anyways. Things came to a head on July the 31st when Dahl and Chrisman attended a meeting at the Winthrop Hotel. The men explained that their story was true, but they were getting so much pushback about their story that they just wanted the whole thing to go away. They agreed that if anyone asked them, they would just say the story was a hoax. The duo then agreed to sign a statement for the Air Force stating that the material that they collected from the craft was not abnormal. These guys just wanted everything to go away, or so they're saying. So what's the truth about this UFO sighting? Many true believers state that the Maury Island UFO is the real deal, and they point towards the fact that the federal government refuses to openly talk about the sighting is proof that it really happened. However, in 1956, Air Force officer Edward J. Ruppelt wrote, and I quote, The whole Maury Island mystery was a hoax, the first, possibly the second best, and the dirtiest hoax in the UFO history, end quote. At the time of the Maury Island sighting, the U.S. government was putting serious thought into prosecuting the men for perpetrating a story that cost the lives of two men and the loss of a B-25 plane. Rather than pursue charges against the men, the government just backed away from the whole story. You know, nothing to see here. Move along, right? One theory for how the Maury Island incident was turned into such a massive story all comes down to Kenneth Arnold's investigation. Author Joe Nickel believes that Raymond A. Palmer, editor of Amazing Stories and Fate magazine, specifically hired Arnold to investigate the UFO sighting because he's so credible. If that's the case, then it would be absolutely Machiavellian. But it's stranger. But yet, yeah, stranger things have happened, right? Much of the Maury Island story is centered on Harold Dahl, but the other witness to the alleged UFO was Fred Chrisman a guy who's in the center of more conspiracy theories than Elvis. Like, seriously, this is where my mind started getting blown. Chrisman was a former fighter pilot from Tacoma, Washington, who's most famously known for claiming to fight mysterious and evil subterranean cave creatures in Burma during World War II. He wrote, and I quote, I flew my last combat mission on May 26, 1945, when I was shot up, over Basin and ditched my ship in Ramari Roads off Chidubs Island. I was missing for five days. I requested leave at Kashmir. I and capt. left Srangar and went to Rudok, then through the Keisha Pass to the northern foothills of the Kabakaram. We found what we were looking for. We knew what we were searching for. My companion and I fought our way out of a cave with submachine guns. I have two nine-inch scars on my left arms that came from wounds given me in the cave when I was 50 feet from a moving object of any kind and in perfect silence. The muscles were nearly ripped out. How? I don't know. But my friend has a hole the size of a dime in his right bicep. It was seared in. How? We don't know. End quote. Chrisman wrote about the Maury Island incident in the January 1950 issue of Fate magazine, and in spite of the fact that he and Dahl stated that they would call the whole thing a hoax in public, he seems to have done an about-face, because in that year, he wrote, and I quote, Why, if we were such blackguards, and deliberately caused the death of two Air Force pilots, and the loss of a $150,000 airplane— Did not the government or some agency there attempt to seek justice through the courts of the state and federal government, end quote? Yeah, I'll give him that. He does have a point. But it's even more likely that the government just didn't care. Even if Chrisman never saw a UFO in the Pacific Northwest, he definitely gets around in the world of conspiracy theories. Author Richard E. Sprague writes in his book, The Taking of America, one, two, three, that Chrisman, you're ready for it, was a shooter on the grassy knoll. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. To add fuel to his fire, former New Orleans District Attorney Jim Garrison claimed that Chrisman was a member of the Three Tramps, a group of unhoused men arrested by Dallas police following the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. And Jim Garrison said, and I quote, I suggest the only reasonable conclusion is that he, Chrisman, was, and probably is if still around, an operative at a deep cover level in a long-range clandestine intelligence mission directly, in terms of our national intelligence paranoia, related to maintaining national security. Christman emerges as an operative at a supervisory level, acquired by the apparatus to carry out the menial jobs that are needed to push a current mission forward, a middleman, in the final analysis between the mechanics who eliminate and the handymen who otherwise support a termination mission on one hand and the distant, far-removed, deep-submerged command level on the other, end quote. Yeah, I know, blew my mind too. Before he passed away in 1975, Chrisman changed his story again about the Maury Island UFO incident. He stated that instead of a UFO, what he and Dahl saw was a military aircraft illegally dumping radioactive waste into the sound. As far-fetched as many of Chrisman's stories are, his version of events that include illegal dumping by the U.S. government really aren't that strange. The Maury Island incident made an appearance in the controversial Majestic 12 documents, where it was alleged that the retrieved metal fragments formed a component of a nuclear reactor. According to these documents, the fragments were then handed over to the CIA for further examination. In his 1999 publication, The UFO Investigator's Handbook, Craig Glenday highlighted the Maury Island incident alongside the Arnold sighting as a significant UFO event centered on Mount Rainier. Glenday referred to the area as a quote-unquote UFO laboratory, further emphasizing its relevance in the realm of unidentified aerial phenomena. Although authorities discredited the Moore Island incident, its place in the earliest lore surrounding UFOs and the Men in Black had already taken hold. In 2017, the Washington State Senate even passed a resolution acknowledging the 70th anniversary of the event, further solidifying its significance. Over the years, the island community has maintained a deep interest in their connection to the UFO phenomena and the role they played in its emergence. Extensive investigations were conducted by both the Air Force and the FBI, resulting in comprehensive reports on the Maury UFO incident. These reports highlighted various unresolved aspects of the story and ultimately concluded that the claims made by Dahl and Chrisman were likely part of a hoax orchestrated by Chrisman himself. It was suggested that Chrisman's motive behind the fabricated tale was to sell sensational UFO articles to Palmer's magazine. Or maybe Dahl and Chrisman actually came face-to-face with a UFO. Or maybe a men in black. Or maybe the government's just keeping them silent. Who really knows? And on that note, my darlings, we have come to the end of today's episode. I thank you for joining me here today, and I hope you'll take some time to reach out and share your thoughts about today's episode. You can always reach me and the show at darkenigmapodcast at gmail.com. And if you have a suggestion for a future show, you want to share your thoughts about today's episode, you're bored and you just need somebody to chat with. Drop me a line because I do reply to every single email. And just a note, I want to remind you guys that we might be having some interviews coming up soon. I'm trying to get a couple of them together. I have a really interesting guy that I'm trying to nail down a time with. And as soon as I figure out a time... We're going to tell you all about him. He is so interesting. You guys are going to love him. Anyways, on that note, that's all the time I have this evening. I thank you for joining me here on Renegade Talk Radio. And you guessed it. Don't forget to tune in next time. See you, my heathens. I love you. We don't sugarcoat shit. Oh. This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio.